Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff, uh, one of the pastors at Salt Church. Great to be here with you. Welcome if you're new or visiting. Uh, We love having you here. Uh, Three things I love about Australia. I love the beaches. I love Chico's. And I love how diverse Australia is. We have a mix of cultures, different values, a whole range of opinions. Uh, And we want to be a peaceful country. We want to be a peaceful country where everyone is welcome, no matter what you believe. And we can be that... So long as we don't get fixated on the truth. Australia, in our diversity, has a very uneasy relationship with truth. Because if someone insists that what they believe is true and everyone else is wrong, what happens? Heated arguments, opposition, division, isolation, name-calling, it's a mess. It's a mess that comes when someone insists there's an absolute truth, there's an ultimate truth. There's things that are true, even if you disagree with them. And now no one wants to live in a country split by division. And so the solution that Australia has come up with is to deny that there's absolute truth. You can't claim there are things that are true for all people. Instead, there's what's true for you. There's what works for you. There's a range of opinions and possibilities, and they're all good. They're all valid. We need to respect them all. But to insist that you are right and I am wrong, that's not good. That's immoral. That's divisive. It's offensive. And the last thing that Australia needs is more division, right? Now, most of the time, this solution works quite well. It keeps the peace. People don't get in an uproar. But it has one glaring problem. Can you see what it is? reality. The reality is there is truth. That's why highways have signs like this that say wrong way, go back. If you're driving the wrong way down a highway, it doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is you're in huge danger. And that's going off. I don't know why. There we go. Well, good. Uh, It doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is you're in huge danger. Uh, This solution is in fact a claim about truth, that the absolute truth is there is no absolute truth, which as well as being illogical, is just obviously false. Of course there is truth, of course there is absolute truth. There are things that are true even if you disagree with them. And the best thing for our society, the best thing for each of us, is not to make truth a matter of opinion. The best thing is to know and love and defend and share the truth. And that's actually what God is on about. What God wants for each of us is to know the truth. And we'll see it in the book of Titus. Uh, At Salt, we've been working our way through this letter, as Sean said, through a letter written by Paul to Titus. Paul left Titus on the island of Crete in Greece to look after these churches that had just sprung up. And here's what he says in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Grab a Bible, have a look with me. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And last week we saw the kind of leader that God wants for his church. Uh, It's almost all about character. So look at verse 8. 
Uh, rather, a leader who must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And we also saw he needs to be capable, uh, capable of leading his family. And also, verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. He needs to teach the truth because, verse 10, because there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And here's the first thing we learn about the truth. We learn that lies create harm and truth creates health. The pastors are their teaching and there's false teachers too. And what do we learn about these false teachers? Verse 10, they're rebellious. They don't obey God. They talk a lot, but what they say is meaningless. Worse than that, it deceives and misleads people. Verse 11, what they teach is not true and they profit off the people that they teach and they're causing real damage. They're disrupting whole households. They're ruining whole families by teaching lies. Uh, verse 16, have a look with me, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. They claim to be Christian, but if you look at how they live, it's obvious they don't even know God. Uh, they're detestable, which is a word that means repugnant or foul. They're disobedient. They're unfit for any good. You will never, ever see any good from them. And then it gets racial. Look at verse 12. One of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Uh, Cretans are known liars, so it's no surprise that these Cretans are liars, which feels very strange to be in the Bible, doesn't it? Like this kind of harsh ethnic slur and a stereotype. Uh, I think to understand this, we need to see the difference between a generalization and a stereotype. Uh, a generalization is a statement about a group that in general is true. So in general, Chinese people work very hard. They're known for working very hard. In general, Australians pay each other out. These are, so long as they're true, generalizations are helpful. They help you understand a group. Uh, so visitors who come to Australia are taught that Australians pay each other out. And they need to understand that because otherwise they don't get it that when an Australian insults them, it means they like them and they want to be friends. For some reason, that's not obvious. Uh, it's really helpful. So long as it's true, a generalization is helpful. But a stereotype, a stereotype is when you apply a generalization to an individual and say something like this, because you belong to a group that is generally like this, therefore you're exactly like that and it sums you up completely. Uh, I've had people say to me, because you're a white male, you're sexist. Without taking any time to get to know me and see how I behave, what I believe, what I, how I operate. Now, some white men are sexist, but that doesn't mean all white men are sexist. doesn't mean that I'm sexist. That's a stereotype. Stereotyping is the problem. Verse 12 is a generalization. It's also a generalization about cretins from a cretin. Uh, you'll probably have a little footnote in your Bible that says, from the Cretan philosopher Epimenides. 
So this is one of Crete's own philosophers. He, he's one of their own, one of Crete's heroes. Kind of, I guess, like Banjo Patterson and the man from Snowy River. Here's their, like, Cretan statement. Uh, but which I think helps us see this is less a savage attack and more something that they're proud of. Uh, like, we're proud as a nation that we rip each other down. We're kind of, we own that. We love that about Australians. Other countries look at us and go, why would you be proud of that? That's a terrible thing. And similarly, the Cretans are proud that they're lazy. They're proud that they can just laze on their beautiful beach, on their island paradise, and just relax in the sun. They're proud that they're liars, like, uh, like real estate agents who are proud when they lie to your face and pull off this sleazy deal. Now, not all of them, as a generalization, not a stereotype. I'm sure there's one good real estate agent out there. But that's the idea here, I think. It's, it's one of their own talking. This is something they're proud of. But it's not all Cretans, because Paul is sure that Titus can find some Cretans who will lead the church. Cretans who, verse 8, are hospitable, who love what is good, who are self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. But for these false teachers, the generalization is true. They are evil, lazy liars. It's a bleak picture. It's a serious problem with a simple solution. Verse 9, he must hold firmly the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Verse 11, they must be silenced. Verse 13, this saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. Correct them, convince them of their error. And it says to do it sharply, which feels like harshly or aggressively, but a better translation would be rigorously or severely. Because come over to chapter 3, might even be on the same page for you, or flick a page, chapter 3, verse 1, says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone so severely rigorously rebuke these people in a gentle calm patient manner is what it's saying now how different is this to the way our society treats truth it doesn't say these ideas are true for them they work for them so just let them believe what they want to it doesn't say just share your opinion and agree to disagree because it's all valid it's all good It says sharply correct people who are wrong and damaging the church by their lies. Have the argument because some arguments are worth having. I think strangely, we actually also have this approach in our culture, in our society. Uh, Generally, we keep the peace, respectful, avoid the argument, self-censor, all those kinds of things. But when you hear someone say something that is clearly wrong, what do we tell people to do? We tell them to fact check it, to go beneath the social media quote or the out of context soundbite and to find the facts because we know truth matters. We know some arguments are worth having and we know lies create harm and truth creates health. And that is God's goal. God wants people to know the truth, to be healthy and sound and firm and secure by knowing the truth. 
That's even the goal for the false teachers. You rebuke them to restore them. Look at verse 13 again. This saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Here's a question. Who do you think that they is there? It could be the people who are being misled or it could be the ones doing the misleading. It could be confused Christians or it could be the false teachers. I read with me from verse 11. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. Verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. It's the false teachers. The aim is not to accept or tolerate these beliefs, but the aim is also not to attack and shame and isolate and cancel them. The aim is to win them back to the truth. Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Uh, Many years ago, I was part of a church that removed an elder for false teaching. This church had a board of elders, kind of six or seven of them. And over time, it became clear to the rest of the elders that one of them had a false belief. Uh, He, as a kind of potted summary, he believed that people were saved, that we'd go to heaven based on what we do. Uh, We become right with God by becoming good enough people, not by trusting Jesus' death alone. And so they asked him to write his beliefs on paper. And then they carefully checked what he wrote against the Bible. And it was obvious that they were different. It was obvious that what he believed wasn't true. And so they spent not days or weeks, but months talking this through with him, calmly, but rigorously showing him that what he believed is wrong. And after about a year, he still refused to change. And so they called it a meeting of the whole church and they told the church, don't listen to this man anymore. Don't follow him anymore as he no longer holds firmly to what the Bible says. And through the entire painful process, The aim for him and for all of those who followed him was that they would know the truth. Because lies create harm and truth creates health. And isn't that exactly what our nation needs? Not to deny that truth exists so we can keep this fake, uneasy peace. And not to come out swinging and start fights with everybody and cancel anybody who disagrees with you but to patiently and calmly seek the truth, know the truth, love the truth, share the truth. But can we find the truth? In a world of so many ideas, so many opinions, can we actually find the truth? Especially when it comes to religion and spirituality. Because to claim that you know the truth, to claim that there is an ultimate absolute truth when it comes to religion and spirituality, that causes the most division, the sharpest arguments, the deepest offense. I think that's why it's so normal to hear people say things like, all the religions, they're all basically the same. Or it's great that that works for you, but I'm kind of into this thing instead. Can we even find the truth about God? Well, yes, because of the second thing that we learn. The second thing is that God speaks the truth because God is truth. God is a truth teller. 
Look at the second sentence of this book, chapter two, 1, verse 2. It says this, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Just this little phrase that you could skip over. God, who does not lie. But pause on it for a second and think how incredible that is. Even at our best, we often shape the truth so it doesn't reflect badly on us. And we present it in its best possible light. But God cannot lie. God speaks the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, always. And God speaks the truth about himself. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this illustration, an illustration about God. Imagine that there are six blind men who meet an elephant for the first time. I'm sure you've heard this illustration. Six blind men, they meet an elephant for the first time. They're asked to ex- describe what, what an elephant is like. And so the first one grabs the trunk of the elephant, and he says, oh yeah, this elephant is very similar to a snake. It feels like a snake. And the second grabs a tusk and says, no, no, I, I completely disagree with you. It, it feels like a spear. The third grabs a leg and says, no, it's a tree trunk. The fourth grabs an ear, says it's like a fan. The fifth grabs a side and says, no, it's more like a wall. And the sixth grabs the tail and said, no, it's more like a rope. And the point of the illustration is that they all see something about the elephant, but none of them see the full picture. Likewise, we all see something about God, but none of us have the full picture. We need all the religions, all the spiritualities to teach us about God. That's the illustration. The problem with it is that the God of the Bible speaks. So to stay with the illustration, it's as if the elephant speaks and says, I'm not a snake, I'm not a wall, I'm not a rope, I'm an elephant, and quit poking me. Like it's as if the elephant is speaking, telling us about itself. The God who cannot lie tells us the truth about himself. So that we can know the truth amongst all the opinions out there in the world. We can know the truth. The truth is what the God of the Bible says. The truth is what Jesus says. Let me show you a couple of verses from the book of John. Things that Jesus says or things that are said about Jesus. John 1 verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Jesus, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The claim of Jesus is that he is full of truth. Well, the second one, John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a massive claim. Jesus claims he is the truth, not a truth among many. He claims that he is the supreme guide to truth and that he's the way to God, the only way to God. And that he's the place to find life. Third passage, John 8, verse 31, 32, 36. If you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus claims that he sets us free from the harmful lies that we tell ourselves about the world and about ourselves and about God. And then last one, John 18, verse 37. Jesus says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If you want truth, if you want to be on the side of truth, you'll listen to Jesus. It is impossible to overstate how massive these claims are. 
the claim of Jesus that you can know the truth amongst all the world's opinions about truth, even when it comes to religion and spirituality. The claim of Jesus is that there is an ultimate absolute truth. The claim that all religions are not the same and it's not a matter of finding out what works for you. It's of no use to you if it's wrong. Worse than that, it's harmful to you if it's not Jesus' truth. This is not an opinion that you can try on and see if it works for you. The claim of Jesus is a reality that affects the life and the eternity of everybody on the planet. This is massive. And why is it so massive? Because it's an even bigger claim than that the elephant speaks, that that God speaks the truth about himself. It's a claim that God is truth, that God is the source of truth. Uh, When I was in year six, I did what almost every New South Wales school student does. I went on a school trip to Canberra. Uh, And I saw all the sites in Canberra, Parliament House, the War Memorial, Questacon. And I also went to the CSIRO to look at their atomic clock. This is not a time machine, though I wish it was. This is an atomic clock. Um, I'm no scientist, not by a long shot, but I hope this is accurate. And if not, you can blame the Wikipedia article I read. Uh, How do analog clocks keep time? Analog clocks keep time with a pendulum, a weighted pendulum. That's how it kind of ticks away based on weight. An atomic clock keeps time by measuring atoms, the vibration of atoms, which makes them insanely precise, the guide to the correct time. Uh, An analog watch, an analog clock, it changes time. It, It goes faster, goes slower over a period. But an atomic clock is so accurate, it loses about one second every hundred million years. And on our tour of the CSIRO when I was in year six, the scientists there got us to sync our watches to the atomic clock. And my, this is, you know, the 90s, my watch was this rubbish thing that was 10 bucks, and this was long before smartwatches, this rubbish 10 bucks watch, but I was so stoked, I had the actual time on my watch. And so when I got home, I told my family about it, and I made them change all our clocks, all our radios, all our watches to match my time. And I kept on telling them to do that for about a year, long after my cheap rubbish watch was no longer telling the right time. It slowed down by about five minutes and it was obviously wrong because I thought that my watch was the real time. But my watch was only a guide to the real time. The atomic clock is the real time. And like that, God is not a guide to truth. God is truth. God is the atomic clock. And God speaks the truth because God is truth. Everything God says is true. Everything needs to be measured against God. And he wants each of us to know the truth. The truth that not all ideas are equal. Some ideas lead to harm, they're repugnant, and they're the opposite of good. The truth that we need to be set free from the lies that we tell ourselves about God and about our world and about us, and that only Jesus can set us free. The truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the only way to be right with God is through Jesus. 
and the truth that in Jesus, God rescues us from lies so that we can know and love and defend the truth. Now, let me wrap up. If you are here exploring Jesus and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it is, I'm stoked that you're here. It is, takes a lot of courage to do that. And it's really great that you're here. What you've heard tonight are some enormous claims. You need to go and fact check them for yourself. Uh, read John, where all those Bible verses came from. John was one of Jesus' closest mates. He knows everything about Jesus' life. Start in the book of John and read through the Bible. I'd love to read it with you. People here would love to help answer your questions. The one thing you can't do, though, is that what our society keeps trying to do. Our society keeps coming to say that when it comes to religion, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to God, you can choose what's true for you. You can choose what works for you because there is no ultimate absolute truth. Hate to say it, but that is a lie. And it doesn't lead to good. It doesn't lead to freedom. It doesn't lead to God. It leads to harm. And Jesus is too kind to let us stay trapped in that lie. So fact check Jesus and find out for yourself, does Jesus speak the truth? If you're here and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. Let me say value truth in your leaders. We heard a lot about this last week, but it's kind of continuing this passage again. Value truth in your leaders, not just that your leaders, that your church leaders, Christian leaders, not just that they're trustworthy, but verse 9, that they hold to the trustworthy message. Look for and follow Christians who'll encourage you to know the truth and who'll defend the truth. And don't be shocked or surprised or offended when they do that, when they defend it or when they correct it. Celebrate it. Because truth matters. Truth leads to health. God is truth. I think another thing for our church, just as Australia is diverse, so is Salt Church. Uh, We have people here who have come from Anglican churches, from Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Baptist, Uniting, Catholic, Orthodox, people who have come out of cults, people who have never been to a church before and we're the first church you've ever explored, people who used to be atheists, people who have been Christians their entire life, people who have been Christians three weeks. We have it all mixed in together in this beautiful, diverse, glorious mess. And I love it. Uh, It's a beautiful thing about our church. We're all at different stages in our Christian life. And so there are many ideas in this room about what's true and who God is. And I think that's a really good thing. I think it's a fantastic thing that our church is a welcoming place for people from all walks of life. We really want our church to be that, for everybody to be welcome here. That's good. What wouldn't be good is if we ever become a church where any idea is fine, so long as it's true for you. Salt needs to be a place where all of us, and especially our pastors, where we all seek God's truth by opening the Bible and wrestling this out together, ready to be corrected, eager to be encouraged by sound doctrine and healthy teaching. Because, in the words of another letter, to a church leader, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Because this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let's pray.